never acquire all the knowledge, right? And so you always think you're behind when really you just have to kind of jump in and start at some point. And I see so many dog owners holding themselves back and being like, well, I'm not ready for that. Or what happens if, and it's like, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of Honest to Dog Podcast. It's me, Liz Foley, your favorite dog trainer. Joined by Jeff Gadway right across the table from you. Mm-hmm. Liz, let's talk about knowledge. I'm excited for this episode. Let's let's get into it. It kind of taps in a little bit to your roots academically. Mm-hmm. What what did you go to school for? And it wasn't dog training. No. Philosophy. Philosophy. <laughs> Questioning. All knowledge. All knowledge. The pursuit of knowledge. Yep. And it's kind of funny how this week when we were talking about ideas for the newsletter, what came up was this topic of how knowledge is both a tool and a disadvantage when it comes to dog training. A blessing and a curse. That's right. Mm-hmm. Can you maybe share a little bit about the evolution of dog training when it comes to the knowledge and awareness mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. education that's that's out there and where you see dog owners are today relative to 10 or 15 or 20 years ago? Yeah, absolutely. Without question, there is so much more information out there, like YouTube, books and Instagram and all things. There's plethora of information out there. Some of it very confusing, some of it opposing. So there's kind of like this information overwhelm, but there are also ways in which that's definitely helping clients because 10 years ago when I was walking into homes for dog training, I had to like really convince people about crating and no, it's not evil or punishment. It's not mean. It's actually something that dogs crave. And like this whole notion of structure was brand new. And now it's like people contact me. I know I'm not providing enough structure for my dog. I'm creating. What else can I be doing? And it's like, whoa, we have seen quite a shift here. So now I go to people's houses. They're already creating. So we're fixing other things. So there's ways in which we're miles ahead. But then I'm also seeing that there's so much trepidation and hesitancy because people are so concerned about doing it right, right? And so it's like this consumption of knowledge, overwhelm, like, and I've been there. I've been there as a starting out as a dog trainer myself and being like, whoa, there's so much here. So these are people who aren't planning on even becoming dog professionals, but taking it so, so seriously. Where do you think that comes from? Mm. The fact that people are more open than ever, which I think is a great thing. We're Mm -hmm. open to challenging our deeply held beliefs. We're open to different points of view. And yet this abundance of knowledge can sometimes put people into a freeze type of pattern where Mm -hmm. they either don't know what to do or they're afraid of doing anything because of this notion that they're not going to get it perfect. But like, where does this come from in your view? I think it's just society in general. We place such a heavy importance on acquiring knowledge and who has the most knowledge. And it's like, it's putting you as a kid, at least for me growing up, it was like, 
where are you going to school? Where are you going to go after that? Where are you going to go to high school and graduation and, and university? Like, what's your degree going to be? What certificates do you have? We we want to see those achievements. And it's kind of a scam <laughs> sometimes, right? Where it's like, I think so much school, it's great. There's definitely pros to staying in school, <laughs> but there's also like almost like a delay that happens where you are sitting in wait and just accumulating knowledge and you're not putting much into practice. And so you're kind of, at least it kind of brainwashed me into thinking I'm never ready. You can mm -hmm. never acquire all the knowledge, right? And so you always think you're behind when really you just have to kind of jump in and start at some point. And I see so many dog owners holding themselves back and being like, well, I'm not ready for that. Or what happens if, and it's like, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. And the only way we will get to solutions if we just kind of start trying, you know? Yeah. We can, we can stay in our heads and think things through. And like, I'm a perpetual overthinker. You're just creating almost more worry, right? When you're staying in that brain and try to think things through and you can't think things through with dogs. I've you been need there. to be intuitive. Yeah. And so yeah, there's there's this there's this paradox between intuition and uh like instinct and intuition and and rational thought. Mm -hmm. You need the rational thought to know how to respond potentially in a situation, but then you need to just trust your instincts and your intuition and 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 respond when you're in that situation. Mm -hmm. And it seems like a lot of dog owners they want to have the exact answer mapped out before they do it mm -hmm. because of fear of failure, fear of judgment, fear that if they do it and they do it wrong, it's going to make things worse. Yes. If, oh my god. But their gosh. dog is not going to trust them. And so they wait and they wait and they wait and they never actually apply the knowledge and things don't get better. In fact, they probably get worse. Mm -hmm. Exactly. What are some of the ways where you've been cursed by knowledge mm -hmm. when you've you've had this what's the uh what's the allegory of the cave like once you see yeah, it you yeah. can't unsee it and yeah. you question everything well look at you getting into philosophy well <laughs> you know what are some of the ways when it comes to dog training that that this has kind of impacted you personally this kind of came to light for me really clearly when we were discussing this this concept for the podcast and for the newsletter where it was like I remember taking my very first dog first aid course and it petrified me, okay? Because I, I had had Carmen two years, I guess, and then I did this training as part of the doghouse development and wanting to know how to keep all dogs safe, right? And then it was like, oh my gosh, there's so many things that can go wrong on a hike with your dog and you have to know this and take care of this and you should have a first aid kit on you and like so many things that it kind of just made me want to stay in my house with my dog and not do anything at all because I was like danger is everywhere and that's not living life with your dog that's being fearful and it's like that overwhelm of knowledge made me hyper aware which made me want to freeze and avoid and now I look at that and it's so silly because I've I've administered first aid to several dogs. It doesn't scare me or overwhelm me. I just know what I need to know and can put it into action. And it kind of wasn't until I started actually having to maybe clean and wrap a wound 
where I felt more comfortable with it. Does that make sense? It does. Do you ever ask yourself as a dog trainer whether the concepts that dog training aims to perpetuate actually has the impact of creating fear in people or holding people back? Yeah. Yeah. I've thought about that. And even like this podcast, I'm like, do I, am I making dog owners more cautious about everything? Have I like, or are they understanding that, yeah, these are important things to be conscientious of and fix or improve and get better at. But I don't want you to hold back from trying it and doing things. But I also do think that, I mean, that's a way in which we see a lot of people control things, right? And so I do see it a lot uh, from the purely positive side, force-free training, where it's like one correction will corrupt your entire relationship with your dog. And so, of course, I can see why people would be like, well, uh, I'm going to not correct because I don't know how to correct. And so I'm going to just learn about correcting as much as possible. And then, and then, and then, and then when I'm ready to correct, it's like, whoa, we can't be so afraid to make mistakes. Mistakes are how we learn. It's part of learning. It's part of figuring things out. And so I hope that I'm giving people confidence. I hope I'm giving them tools and education to make them feel more competent, not less. Mm-hmm. That's my hope because I'm just like, wow, like, I don't know. I don't know. Like we, we've, we've done a lot of education around dog parks. Yeah, there's, there's things to be very much aware of. And there are going to be dogs that are okay with dog parks or some sort of play settings. Not all dog parks are bad. You know what I mean? Like we can't paint everything with one brush. Because I went to dog parks with Carmen and I had a fine time. But Carmen's a very different dog. And we were going to really decent dog parks. So I don't know. It's just that whole thing that knowledge is a burden, but also a blessing. And it's how we use that knowledge, just becoming aware, but not completely fearful. You touched on something a minute ago, Liz, where you talked about this pursuit of control, that people want control. And and I feel like just in society at large today, I see more people than ever who want to try to control. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it comes from a power place necessarily. In some, some cases it might, but... It's really taking every step possible to mitigate undesirable or unpleasant outcomes Mm -hmm. because we're so, we've become conditioned to not wanting to experience failure, disappointment, discomfort. And so we try to control everything to the nth degree and anticipate every possible outcome. And it feels like, that exertion of control over everything might actually be what is causing things to devolve. Yeah, it's part of the problem and it's because it's creating tension. Talk about that. What, what do you mean? How does control, tension, negative outcomes? Mm, yeah, how do we break this down? It's kind of like the more you try to hold on to something with your firmest grip, the faster it's going to want to get away from you. And a perfect example for me is thinking about really strict parents, right? Who want to 
control their children as much as possible. Again, not from a power thing per se. It could be from a safety perspective. But look at whose children tend to revolt the most. They've been controlled their whole life. So they're like, blah, break free. So it it will work against you. It has to be more guidance than control. And when you take away the fear of making mistakes, everyone can relax. It's interesting you bring up parenting. I was having this conversation with one of my best and longest friends. He has two kids, one who's about six and one who's maybe three years old or or thereabouts. And he was telling me about the differences in approach between his family and other families that have kids that he knows and some who want to try to exert control over everything and like make sure that kids never gonna like scrape their knee let alone hurt themselves and you know he's been reading this book that is encouraging parents to think about yeah you want to keep your kids safe and keep them from seriously injuring themselves but you know playing on the rock over there yes there's some degree of risk Mm. but it's through taking those risks that the kid is going to learn. And so long as the risk in the grand scheme of things is acceptable, um, giving them that opportunity to experiment and try things and maybe even fail along the way is going to do more to build their character in the long run than keeping them in this tiny little bubble Mm -hmm. where they, they don't can't get to, make any mistakes, but they, they can't, don't get to experience life. They don't get to experience anything or, or learn. And so, mm-hmm. you know, he was kind of saying like, he's trying to push himself to think like, okay, well, you know, if if my son is playing up there and he falls, like, you know, what's the what's the worst thing that could probably happen? Well, maybe mm-hmm. they break a, an arm, right? And nobody wants to see their kid hurt themselves mm-hmm. or or you know injure themselves. But you can't go through life being petrified of Mm -hmm. breaking an arm, right? Like, And think of how that will influence that child in growing up. If you're always hovering, oh, whoa, 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 watch that, watch that. All the time, that kid is then going to grow up very scared that anything and everything could possibly go wrong at any time. So always be on guard. We have this kid that's grown up that's more fearful than confident. So they're going to hold themselves back they're scared of everything going wrong and it's like to your point sure you don't want your kid to fall from a high roof and get a concussion no 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 no. but we can't be afraid of him tripping and falling and bumping his knee right i think bringing this back to dogs for a second you know as you were talking about the the first aid example i was trying to think like how how does this relate to me a little bit and something that i think i re- realized recently is that I've been so fearful about rewarding the wrong energy states in blue and giving affection at the wrong times. I haven't been enjoying the play aspects of our relationship. Mm. And so I'm letting the fear and the knowledge of like, okay, be, you know, you get what you pet, be aware of the energy. It's kind of like, well, it's easier if I just don't pet him. Um, because I could be reinforcing the wrong thing. And and where's the fun in that? Like and, dog ownership is about fun and love and joy and companionship. And, and this is the thing. You're already aware of it. 
right? So if you start to give affection and it changes, you can stop. That's still training, mm-hmm. right? So there's so many times where I'm like, okay, we're going to reward the dog because it's staying on place. Um, I want you to approach. Like, I almost have to coach them through of like, if we approach and the dog gets up, we know that we can't do affection in that way, right? Like if it's going to be a treat that ignites excitement, but we have to try. Mm-hmm. I'm just not going to reward. Just cu- You know what I mean? Like it's, we got to experiment. We got to have a little bit of room to explore what works. And if we're constantly kind of like <gasps> holding our breath and not sure about everything, then no one can relax in that space. Then there really isn't control because we're, we're, you know what I mean? You, no one has control anyways, I guess is the point. Like, so like surrender to that. And part of experimentation is failure, right? That's the very yeah. nature of experimentation. It's finding a whole bunch of different ways that don't work before you find a way that works. And I think the difference is you can experiment with guardrails that make yes. sure that your dog is safe, you're safe, your yes. family's safe. And so if you're doing that, you're you're taking the right precautions, you're putting the guardrails in place. Even if you, and I'm using air quotes, like fail at the objective, you haven't failed in your training. Yeah, we can be careful yet carefree. We're not being completely careless. Yes. Right? Yes. And it's, that in itself can be very freeing. The fact that, oh my gosh, we actually have no control over everything. And there's no absolutes in dog training because each dog is an individual and we're going to have to experiment. And that alone can be like, whoa, slightly terrifying but also like there's some freedom in that we can all relax yeah there is no like not everything is black and white even in dog training right so it's just like let's just relax everybody take a deep breath let's like experiment and try things and that's so much of my role now as a dog trainer of like hey we can actually make mistakes like that's why I'm here. I'm here to see what happens and then advise on what we can be doing better. But if I show up and we're just like, oh, no, we can't do that because of the, whew, we can't control everything for this dog. Literally, training is setting your dog up to make good choices regardless of what's happening. And I think so many people forget that and they stay in this management stage where like, if I can control everything in his environment, he will make good choices that's not realistic, mm-hmm. okay? Because that's dress rehearsals. We don't live in dress rehearsals. We have to at some point go from preparation to experimentation and proofing the training. And that's what, when you send your dog for board and train, that's what largely happens. And when it's at a board and train, you don't see that uncovering, that messy middle we talk about, right? And so that trainer does the programming and then does the proofing and is like, here you go. And now here's how we can work with your dog in your life. But I think some people miss that. Like dog trainers don't just take your dog and they're perfect. No, like we have to figure stuff out too with your dog. Well, and it's it's not just conditioning a behavior or a response in one set of circumstances. Yeah. When I watch you work with dogs that you're doing board and trains with here at the house, let's say the activity is recall, right? You're not just doing it one way a thousand times. Mm-mm. You're doing it 
a hundred ways, 10 times, which is, you know, still a thousand reps. I mean, maybe that's not, the math isn't quite right, but like my point is in order to get that outcome in a reliable and consistent way, you're experimenting with, okay, well, what if we try this stimulus? What if we try this tool? What if we try this environment? What if we try this distraction? What if we add another dog? What if we add four dogs? What mm-hmm. if we... And it's like working with a coach, you know just how much you can push because as if, if a dog trainer or a dog owner is hearing that, they might be like, whoa, way too many variables. And no, like if you don't know what you're doing, work with someone who does so that they can know exactly when to up the ante, when to change things, when to make it more difficult for the dog. I'm not just throwing them into situations and like, figure it out. This is training. This is life. No, I'm going to do it in gradual steps. It's just like how my personal trainer knows when I'm ready to level up in weights. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's it's a, it's, it's progressive. not like, okay, you did one curl with 40 pounds. Now we got to do 50. You know what I mean? It's yeah, like yeah. safely incre- changing the difficulty and incrementally getting harder, but... Yeah, I don't know. So, so like, I guess it goes back to my point. We're not being careless, but we are still providing challenge. Yeah, no, I, I follow where you're coming from. The question I have is when you walk into a new training client and you see, you know, I, I'm sure you see it, you feel it right away, you sense it from the dog, and maybe you can tell a story about, you know, an instance like this where you've picked up on on this, but where somebody is holding on way too tight, mm-hmm. they're trying to control everything. How do you coach them through that? Because that's not a, a dog training thing. That's a person training thing. Yeah. And you need to get that on lock first before they can actually make progress with the dog. So, you know, walk me through either you know, we can, we can role play, or if you can think of an example of a client you've worked with where you've walked in and you've seen this kind of scenario, how does it unfold? Yeah. A client I was just working with this week and I've worked with her virtually, but this was our first in-person session. And so like it can happen where when I've worked with someone virtually, like I don't get to see and experience their dog in my space. Right. And so this is something I've had to become very aware of working with people virtually is I am hearing majority through the lens of the dog owner, right? So he does this, he does this. I think it's this. So I was given the impression that this dog was very sensitive, nervous, all of these things. And I show up and we're training and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is a happy-go-lucky dog. He was barking at me. Yeah. But she had it convinced it was fear and a, a fear aggression pretty much and i was like his bark is actually like curious and inviting for play and she was kind of like wait what and i was like trust me <laughs> but and like so much of this dog was goofy and tail wagging and like wanting to have interaction with me. But yeah, he's kind of like German Shepherd Rottweiler looking dog. And she be- was fearful of that and projecting his excitement would actually be aggression. And I was, I could tell she was getting tense with things where I would ask, are you okay with me here? Do you want me to be more at a distance? Like certain things like that. Because I was like, 
Now you're making me nervous. And if I'm picking up on your tension, this dog is 1000%. So if we have an excited dog with a tense human, that could kick off to something, right? Because excited is fight. It is forward. So the switch from excited to more protective is right there. And so I would coach her on breathing. I would be like, hey, relax your arm. Take a deep breath. Like check in with your dog. When we're tense, I think a lot of our awareness gets shut off. And then we don't see early signs. We just react to the big things. And so I was even at one point like, let me take the leash. We did this trade-off situation and I interacted with him and she was able to see like, when I relax with him, he stays happy-go-lucky. If you get tense with him, he moves to excited and protective. And it was just this like, we were just seeing two very different dogs. And I was just like, if we could just help you relax, everything will change in this scenario because our energy has so much to do with our dog's behavior. And I think when we stay in an elect, in an intellectual world, we're staying in that, I don't know everything, I can't control everything. So of course you're not feeling very confident. So then your dog doesn't see you as a leader. Mm. We're not being instinctual and acting upon what we know. And so much of dog training is that confidence in I got this, I got my dog, I got this, no worries. She was all worries, <laughs> so I mm-hmm. was getting worried. So this is the other thing too, when you're in an intellectual state of mind and overthinking what happens, you hold your breath, you usually stop breathing, you get tense in your body. So our dogs aren't like, oh, she's overthinking again. The dog goes, what's the problem? There's stress here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they're, just, they're gonna go, how do I eliminate the stress for you? I could bark at this person who's approaching and keep them away. I could lunge at this dog. I could correct the human. Mm-hmm. Like there's just so many things where we just have to relax and observe what's going on and be open to making change. Cause that's the thing. When you're tense, you're not open. When you're not open, you can't make change. I can see how it's a bit of a a, a tough paradox. Like even hearing you talk about this. I'm fighting my inner instincts because there's all of this stuff that we've been primed with. If you stay ready, you don't got to get ready, right? (laughs) Or, you know, even what we've talked about before, if you can predict it, you can prevent it. And there's a fine line between that and projecting that something is going Mm -hmm. to happen. Mm -hmm. And I think what I'm trying to, to, to process right now is this idea that if you can just let go, yep. let it go, <laughs> let it go, um, let go. If something happens, not when, but if something should happen, you have the training, you have the resources, you have the knowledge that you can respond and, and it be fine, mm-hmm. right? Versus being like in that ready position, trying to 
you know, squash anything from happening in the first Mm -hmm. place, Mm -hmm. which is in turn going to cause it to happen. Mm-hmm. Right, because like, you're anxious. Because you're anxious, and I think that is probably a big perceptual shift for people to just have that that loose, relaxed mentality be your baseline. And if you need to respond, you need yeah. to re- you need to move. You need to do the thing. You've got the tools, resources, training. You've primed. You've te- you've you know uh, proven it in you know a, a, a controlled situation. You know what you know what to do. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that it's going to happen or that you are going to have to do that thing. If you're constantly worried about what might go wrong, you are setting your nervous system into overdrive. It's like, something is going wrong, right? So you're already primed and looking for it. And when you are, you're going to find it. You're going to find something to be worried and stressed and anxious about. So I think maybe a good place to leave it today. Leave it? Oh, I felt like we were just getting started. But yeah, I guess there's a lot to unpack here. Yeah. Could be, what is the question that you ask yourself? I can't Mm -hmm. remember if this was your energy coach or if it was your therapist, Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. that you try to ask yourself to reframe a situation. Yes. This was the wonderful Karen Leslie who has opened my eyes to so much energetically. And she said, what if everything could turn out even better than I possibly imagine? What if everything turns out even better than I could possibly imagine? What do we usually think? Oh my God, what's going to go wrong? Right. Let's flip that and just, again, we're opening ourselves more up energetically. We're being now curious not worried there's a difference and we can actually start to hopefully project and receive more wonderful amazing things than horrendously wrong things so what can i learn from this walk how will this walk bring me and my dog closer yeah like asking those types of questions to frame the positive outcomes, the opportunities from these things. The one that I always go to, even so if something goes wrong, what is this trying to teach me? Mm-hmm. Not what did I do wrong? Or why is this happening why to me? Why is this happening to me? Yeah, exactly. Hmm. Interesting. What can I do differently? What did I learn here? Why is this presenting itself? Right? And just those questions. And how could this be better? How can this make everything better for me? Right. So anyway, I think where I want to leave things is it comes up in training and it came up in this training. And I think anyone who's ever worked with me has heard me say one of the one of the rules of dog training, one of the Liz Foley rules of dog training is it should be sexy. Okay. And what's not sexy is being concerned and worried about everything potentially going wrong. What is sexy is being relaxed, confident, and you've got this. And if something goes wrong, acting like you meant to do it, okay? So I tell that to clients all the time, that was on purpose, right? And I laugh to them because I'm like, it really wasn't. But the dog doesn't need to know that. Right. Right? So I just roll from plan A to plan B. Cool. I meant to do that. Now let's see what happens, right? Can we be a little more forgiving of ourselves because we're not perfect and Instagram likes to make it seem like everybody else is and so we stay in this fearful state of 
Why can't I do it like everybody else? Newsflash, those are highlight reels, not real life reels. So don't compare yourself to other people. You have a lot of knowledge, especially if you're listening to this podcast. You have got so much knowledge. I'm sharing it all with you for free. And I don't do it so that you can be in overwhelm or scared of making mistakes or anything like that. Be a little fearless. Be proud of what you've learned and trust what you know and act confidently confidently with instincts so that your dog can actually follow you and trust you. That's how we're going to make change. Don't be afraid to make mistakes. And if you are, hire me or someone else equally as awesome because they're out there. I know many trainers I've been working with that are doing fantastic work and they can help you feel less afraid in those moments where maybe something could go wrong and they can just be like, hey, well, we'll see what happens. Because those are the best trainers. They really are. They're gonna make you laugh in those moments of tension. Like they're cheerleaders. That's our role. I'm not gonna make you feel bad. Why did you do that? I will never say that to a client, right? It's like, okay, that's a choice. What else could we do? I love it. I, I think my big takeaway is let's use the knowledge to push ourselves forward as opposed yeah. to hold ourselves back. Yes, you're right? so eloquent. To, you're so good to grow with instead of stay small, to enjoy our dogs, not to keep us from enjoying our dogs. You're so poetic and deep. I'm very smart and good looking. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, I hope that this episode shed some light um, and made you feel more confident and less fearful. So go out there and be carefree, but not careless. And thank you so much for listening. Until next time, stay calm and confident. And loosen up. Yeah, take a breath. Jeez. <laughs> okay, bye. If you like what you heard, hit that subscribe button and leave us a comment or a review. We'd love to hear from you. We release a new podcast weekly. Follow us on Instagram at Honest to Dog Podcast. Honest to Dog Podcast is hosted by Liz Foley and Jeff Gadway. The show is engineered, edited, and produced by me, Timothy Musa. 